This is Amy, and you're listening to the Talkin' Appalachian Podcast. Welcome back to part two of my interview with Don Green, Executive Director of the Napoleon Hill Foundation, knower of all things Napoleon Hill. I hope you've enjoyed Don telling stories about his own success and the little anecdotes that factor into Napoleon Hill's influence. And it's interesting that as I was researching this podcast, I happened to be reading a book that I got at the library, J. Randy Tarabarelli. It's called Jackie, Public-Private Secret, and it's a book about Jackie Kennedy Onassis. This book was published in 2023, so it's new. But it's interesting because the night of JFK's assassination, actually the early morning hours just after his assassination, his body was brought back to the White House. And Jackie returned there with her mother and her stepfather, Hugh Auchincloss. And she didn't want JFK's bed to be empty that night. So they had separate bedrooms. So she asked her stepfather, Hugh, to occupy his bed, to sleep in his bed that night. And though he thought it was a strange request, he agreed to do it because, A, the first lady asked him to, but B, he understood that in her grief, she he needed to do that for her. On page 143, Napoleon Hill's name is brought up, and the author writes, when he was about 40, five years before he married Janet, Jackie's mother, Hugh Auchincloss became practically obsessed with a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. One of the first self-help books ever published, it became a guide to success for him. He said it helped him understand that, quote, you have to be open to life because you never know. You just never know. It's strange but true, Napoleon Hill wrote. The most important turning points of life often come the most unexpected times and in the most unexpected ways. Tonight, as he tossed and turned in the bed of the United States President at the insistence of his First Lady, on the night of his assassination, Napoleon Hill's words couldn't have resonated more with Hugh D. Auchincloss. So even though we know Napoleon Hill was so influential, it's interesting to read that passage from 1963 and know that the First Lady was being coached in finances by her stepfather, who had learned from Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. Welcome back, Don Green, for part two of the I always learn to make use of the time when I have a few moments time. In fact, it is now in between what I'm doing of this book. I'm reading the book on Reverend Ike. Mark Victor Hansen did. I don't know where you know who Reverend Ike is. He's a black minister, very charismatic. It's released on December the 19th. It's close to 100 pages, I think, but about halfway through it all. But it's an interesting book because poor people, and they thought that all this suffering we do here on earth was just natural to prepare us for a better, to prepare us for the cure after. Reverend Ike developed the thing is that we got God is in us. And we have capability of leading a good life. We don't have we don't have to suffer like Abe. His mom never never accepted it. He's very charismatic. He had a good wife. Was educated. He went to Bible school. He drove a Rolls Royce. 
And the internet showed he's worth 15 or $20 million when he died. But he liked the clothes and bed and all. But he taught people that, you know, there's goodness in you, you know, that you can you can accomplish things. You don't have to suffer through this life. You can uh, you can have more and, and do more and be more. So it, uh, he had a lot of followers. So it's, a, it's an interesting book. Yeah. You know, I have two teenagers now. And one of the things that I'm trying to impress upon them is that they can be anything they want to be, anything they want to be. My son has a really lofty goal and he wants to work for NASA. From the time he was little bitty, space has been his his passion. I've introduced him to the story of Homer Hickam, another Appalachian boy that didn't take no for an answer and realized his dream of working for NASA. And I gave him this book and had him read J.B. Hill's story because J.B. Hill said, you know, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a spaceman. And he he achieved being a doctor and he achieved working in some aspect of the space program. So he achieved both goals. And I think it's so hard when you're young. And that's why um, defining success is a really hard thing for young people. It's it's hard. So what is your definition of success? What do you try to impress upon young people about that idea of you can be whatever you want? It just takes well, not taking no for an answer. I have a little sign on my about an old author, Ben Sweetman. It says, success is a journey and not a destination. It's a type of person we come along on the road. We never get, oh, I got it now. You know, I'm just, I give up. You know, we should always be striving. Mr. Gillum in high school read us a poem, and I can't say the word because it's it's uh, Spanish. The words in it is, our reach must succeed our grasp or what's a heaven for. And it, and, and it took me a while to understand it, but we should always be striving. And to me is, and people know me, I have a little bit of internal dissatisfaction. I know I can do a little bit better. I, every time I write on the book, this is better than what I've done before. And it's the same way with the money. I can help more of the uh, students. I use a quote. It says, if it is to be, it is up to me. And uh, that's in a book by Success with People by Robert Cavett, who founded the National Speakers Bureau. And we have the right to this book. Now, you told me what, what to me, what success is. I was hard to write this book right here. And you can look. It's a little bit of Napoleon Hill and it's a little bit, a bit of the banking. Um, and for people who can't see that book, for for our listeners, you you held up the millionaire mindset. Yeah, I know. I've read thousands of books. There is only four uses of money, and I've given it in talks, and nobody's ever disputed. There's only four uses of money. The first one is food, clothing, and shelter. But as Eisenhower said, if all, and, and most people, that's it, food, clothing, and shelter. He said, they get that in prison. They get food, clothing, and shelter. Life should be a little bit more than that. That's the first use of money, though. That guy's got to come first. It's food, clothing, and shelter. But the second one is, I'll be 83 in, in a few days. But most people are not able to work when they're 83. At some point, I may be 95 and I won't be able to do this. So I don't know. But we should have some money laid back. I mean, Social Security is a supplement. It's not meant to to you leave a good lifestyle. So you need to prepare for it. But I use Victor Hugo's quote 120 years ago. He said, it's not that people were planning to fail. They simply failed to plan. But that's the second use of money. And the third one I call it is, uh, I call it leading a good life. You've taken care of uh, your food, clothing, and shelter, and you've got money laid back. But then you lead a good life like you all. I notice you always wear nice clothing and uh, dress get a nice, have a nice car, be able to go out to eat to restaurants. If you go home with your spouse, 
says, boy, there's a new restaurant that opened up in Norton. I said, people say it's expensive, but it's really good. Well, we'll go when we get our check the first of the month. That is not leading a good life, being able to travel and so forth. That's the third use of money. The fourth use of money to me defines success. You took care of food, clothing, and shelter. You got money for when you retire. You've led a good life. You've been able to travel, do those things you wanted to, and you still got money. And there is a place that you can use that excess money of your own choosing, of your own choice. If you want to help the school, you want to help the church, you want to help St. Jude's. Most people never get to step forward. They skip number two. They didn't provide for when they wasn't wasn't able to make a living. And that's it. It's not complicated to do if they follow the steps and have some has some discipline. Because I think we were meant to uh, strive towards our possibility and contribute to uh, to society. But the sad fact is, and I would include most people we know is, when they're gone, other than their, maybe their close relatives or a few friends, it's like they never was sure. What did they accomplish? Did they help some kid go to school? Did they help foreign mission? Did they help St. Jude's? Did they do something that was worthwhile? Most of them just survived. And heck, animals survive. And that's what's supposed to separate us from animals. Animals, all they have to do is it's just their natural instinct. They don't do nothing till it comes time to eat, and then they don't do nothing till it's time to eat. But uh, us humans, we got the capability. Of what to, and the good Lord would not have give us dreams if He at the same time didn't give us ability to achieve those dreams. And it all comes down. I did a fundraising with a Zig Ziglar one time. He said everything in life comes down to how bad do you want it. I mean, are you willing to get up? Everything's got a price to it. And if you're willing to pay the price for it, I mean, like you working your way through school, going through school, do you get a get a doctorate degree and what have you and have have a credibility? But our heritage, I'm really proud. I'm really proud of it. I'm not ashamed of my parents. They both grew up during depression. I asked my mother one time, why did you and daddy just go to seventh grade? She said, you little smart addict. The teacher only went to seventh grade. There was no school buses. And it was probably 20 miles to high school. So so what did they do? The girls get 14 to get married. The boys go to work in the coal mines. That's just what they did. But they never saw the possibilities of what was out there because mainly they never been around people. You know, they had been around. Other people did the same thing. They just followed suit. Boys get 14, get a job in mines. Girls get married, start raising a family. I mean, that's, that's just a way of life until somebody comes by and breaks the mold. And what I say is so good about it is you knew that when you went to school, if you ever had any kids, they's going to get educated. So we once break that poverty cycle. You can pretty well assume that, well, I didn't have no doubt that my daughter would go to college. Only question was where can we afford to When the grandson was born, that's the first thing I done. I bought him a four-year deal at the 501, what they call that thing that you can, uh, the tuition. And of course, he wanted to go to Virginia Tech, where his mama went. And he went four-year tech and studied finance. And I think you, a good you, the 529, that. is that what you're talking about? The Virginia yeah, 529. Yeah, we yes. set those up too. Those are good. It absolutely is. There's some tax benefits to it. I don't know all the particulars of it, but back then when I did it for four years for him, I think it was, it was less than $20,000, you know, which today I guess that's not one single year uh, or close to it. So it's changed that much, but I thought that was at least a, not many of the students graduate without debt, which is kind of sad to got a debt as much as a yeah. much as a mortgage on a house. So uh, my daughter was graduating. One of the loan officers was financing a 
a vehicle for a guy. And I recognized him from seeing him at the Little League. I was president of Little League also. Uh, and I recognized some of the ball games. And his son was graduating with my daughter. And I didn't want to make conversation with him. So I just spoke to him. And I said, hey, hey, your uh, boys are graduating with my daughter. I said, where'd you going to college? And he said a few choice words. He said he's not going nowhere. He's going to get a job. It's too expensive. And I said, it's not yours expensive as ignorance. And uh, I don't really understood what I did and all. But if that boy had come in and said, Dad, I want to go to the University of Virginia. You really want to go there? Yeah. Now we're going to have to figure out how to do it. Because if you got to why, then you can figure out the how if you if you really want it. But I wonder how many how many young people, the dream dies in them. They say, well, I guess mom and dad, they know what they're talking about. We can't afford it. So I go get me a job. And they don't even strive towards their potential. It's sad. It's, uh, it's sad. That's why I love what I do. It takes that one person to turn them into a different direction and show them that they can. Because I've had so many students who... Once they graduate, they want to go on to graduate school. They want to do something that requires that, but they don't think they can afford it. And graduate school is a whole different setup. You know, you can get assistance chips and you can get scholarships and it will pay for itself. So sometimes, you know, they just give up before they realize that it's possible. I think going back to what you said about Zig Ziglar saying you can achieve anything that you put your mind to. Are you familiar with the story of Diana Nyad who swam from Cuba to Key West when she was 65? There's a Netflix movie right now called Nyad that documents that story. It's pretty remarkable. She tried when she was 28 and she couldn't do it. They said it wasn't humanly possible to swim from Cuba to Key West. And when she was 65, she trained and achieved. She swam through jellyfish and sharks And it took her five tries, but she didn't give up. It's a really remarkable story. And that's another story that I've introduced my kids to. And it's something that I resonate with as I, (laughs) as I grow older, I think, well, you know, in our minds, we say, well, we can't do something because we're a certain age, but her story is really inspirational. I love to look into it because we can learn from it. There's so many of the stories, you know, like the one I the lady that was the black lady that came to school I heard, you know, I had the historical worker put up on campus to her when I found out the story that Is that Miriam me. Miriam Morris yeah. Fuller? Mm-hmm. Dr. Yeah, Fuller? Yeah, if you yes. remember they had my picture and hers and Doc Smitty on the front of the coal field. I had that marker put up when I found out about that story. I contacted the historical society and and told them that uh, I thought it was deserving of a historical marker. She Uh, was the first African-American woman to attend after segregation ended. She was the first one to be admitted here at what was then Clinch Valley College, correct? And it was still, wasn't segregation still the law in Virginia? And we admitted her anyway. Is that how it was? Her daddy was a, worked in a shoe shop. She'd been going to school in Newport News, which was a black school. And, and she didn't have money to go back on. And Dr. Smitty sent word for the center up her school, but he let her go to school. But, you know, she went off, got her doctorate degree and uh, a retired professor from one of the, I don't know, Temple, which one of the schools it was. It's been a long time. It's just amazing what just one person can, uh, can make a difference. And you guys' places, sometimes uh, you're in such a wonderful place to uh, mentor to them. I tell people over and over again, I would give anything if I could work with the college kids one-on-one. Because, I mean, the uh, when uh, she worked six years, started in high school, she was valedictorian. She finished out here three years of chemistry and biology. She's a pharmacist today. And uh, she only made a B in a lab class the rest of straight A's. Mm-hmm. And after what happened, she apologized for it. But uh, then the next little girl was uh, Brooke. 
She worked there six years. She's a medical doctor. And then Zane's been there since the eighth grade. He's probably the smartest one of all of them. He's been there 12 <laughs> years. He's 26 years old. He was able to buy his first house when he was 21 without any help. He started out here at the college when he was 17. He had a stock account. I showed him how to buy stock. He's taking his money and buying stock. Helped me set up. He set up a retirement account. Here's a kid, 17 years old. His dad was an underground coal miner with a high school education. He starts a college out here, and he's got a retirement account and a stock account buying stock. And someone asked his grandmother, said, what's Zane do with the money he's making? Said, he's buying stock. <laughs> so the influence of being around him is just absolutely amazing. Well, it the, sounds like and, being an intern at the Napoleon Hill Foundation pays off. I just love being around him. I mean, I, I can even learn from him because he's organized all so get out. And I'm not. I mean, my DNR I got books all over the place. I said, my wife passed away about nine years ago. I told the lady, I said, clean the floors. You do my clothes, rest the house. Just don't touch the books on the sofa and the floor. And <laughs> my daughter, of course, she's prejudiced, the only child. She said, Daddy, you're a cluttered genius. I said, well, you got one word out of two, right, at least. And uh, But she said, you can't change anything. And I know they taught us, just do one thing and do it well. But, you, but Amy, you can't do it in this business. If you and I are working together on a book, and we get the thing and we get to the publisher, it's going to be six months before it's come out. Are we just supposed to sit there six months and wait till the book comes out? No, we got to keep these other projects going, you know, yeah. online courses and speaking or, or ever what. Life has been good. I said, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And That's I'm just true. trying to do this. This is our archives and those people that I'm doing business with. They came in here and set all this stuff up for me. The guy behind me with me on that picture back there, you see, that was his benefactor's dinner. He's the guy that gave me a $500,000 donation. And then the other people, people that I work with out of New York, it's, uh, it's coaching. And of course, that's Napoleon Hill's typewriter in the background. But these others are books. And I don't know why, but when I get a book in the mail, we ask for two of them. And we get some of them every week. We'll get some books where they publish. And I still enjoy looking at them. I can't read nothing. I can, <laughs> some Spanish, I can read a few words, but I flip them over and see if our copyright's in it, which is in English. A copyright notice them. And, and of course, there's China, Croatia, Germany, Hungary, India, Italy, Japan, <laughs> Korea, Malaysia, all them. But then we put them out. Didn't we fill up all the, we fill up all the spaces and I don't want to throw them away. So now when we get a box of them up, we take them out and put it in the storage. So if you need any foreign books in Japan, Japanese or whatever. I'll never I just, go. I, I hate to throw books away. But now the Spanish, I have, you know, I did the birdhouses, eight local local libraries. I'll put boxes of them in it, and occasionally I'll put a bunch of Spanish because especially when you're on Rise Coast, we're getting more and more Spanish people, and we're doing a lot more books in Spanish uh, okay. uh, today. It's a, it's a real fast-growing part of the, uh, the business in the Spanish in the United States growing market. Well, thank you, Don. I hope you have a, a great holiday and a great birthday. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. I can help you. You let me know. Hello, kindred spirits. If you like the content I'm putting into the world about the culture of Appalachia and you just want to support the podcast, there are links in my show notes where you can do just that. Whether your support buys me a cup of coffee during these long hours of editing, I do it on myself. Or if you want to offer a monthly contribution for which I'm happy to include your name or organization or your book as a supporter on our show notes and give you early access to episodes and other perks. Maybe you can just share the episodes you love the most and spread the word about us, which is totally free. I appreciate you and any support you have to spare. Find me on patreon.com slash talking Appalachian podcast 
or at Talking Appalachian on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to keep talking Appalachian.